Hello and welcome to another episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Thanking you as always for clicking on the podcast. It really is super, super appreciated. Um, apologies about the delay in getting this episode out. I did say on the back of my spoiler-free review that I would also get a spoiler-filled discussion episode of The Batman, the fantastic new film released from Matt Reeves, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, just to name a few, and many, many more. This film is doing so, so well. It's almost like, I think I read up saying that it's like the start of new cinema uh, post-COVID. Well, I say post-COVID. COVID's still knocking about, but you know what I mean. Obviously, people actually going out again to the cinema. We've had so many great blockbusters over the over the last year. In particular, obviously, 2021 was filled with so many great big releases that, um, yeah, it's great to see the Batman as well kind of following suits and, and, and being listed in those films of like, this is how blockbusters should be. So it's nice. It's really great as well, obviously for me as, and for many Batman fans as well to see how much love this film is getting. Cause yeah, really, really excellent. As you probably heard in my spoiler, spoiler free review, I just thought it was a very, very great film. I did say that there was a little bit of like something towards that with the third act that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't too sure on. Um, we will be able to go over that, of course, because this is spoiler filled. So this will be your last warning, of course, listeners, before I do dive in. It's been out, it's been out for over a, about a week now. So I think, I think we're all good to start talking about it. But like I say, Spoiler warning right here. Before we do proceed, obviously the podcast is available on Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts as to rss.com. Jump onto Facebook as well, search Joe Blogs About Films, give the page a like and a follow, that'd be awesome. As to hit like, follow, whatever the option is on Spotify and hit set notifications so you'll be notified when a new episode is uploaded. But here we go then, back to The Batman, as mentioned, directed by Matt Reeves. And I want to start off just by uh, straight away, like almost like apologising to Greg Fraser, the cinematographer for this, because I think I might have mentioned about the cinematography in the in my previous spoiler-free review, but that, you know, the, the shots and such in this film was so, so bloody good. Like I've mentioned, so many wide shots and so many on set, like nothing done on green screen and such. And I felt that Greg Fraser, who's got such a huge back catalogue in his name, just, just to name a few, he did the cinematography for Dune, which again, was a film I absolutely loved as to Rogue One many many big like kind of films that he's had his name attached to and he's obviously going to be doing Dune Part 2 and so on um, yeah just think he's done such a fantastic job and like I say I did mention a lot about the cinematography in this film because it's so good it's like it just it, 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 every sequence or every every frame that's in there like especially when you've got like complete wide shots of Gotham I mean, Gotham itself for me looked amazing, but it couldn't have possibly looked as amazing without Greg Fraser's work on cinematography and obviously Matt, Matt Reeves' vision of what Gotham should look like. So I want to get that in straight away so I don't forget because I thought that the whole look of this film was pretty, pretty excellent. And the use of what they where, where they were getting shots from, how they were kind of making things look like, seem familiar with a Batman film, but at the same time, something completely different, like I've already mentioned before. And I'm trying not to tread on, obviously, familiar ground of what I've already said, but, you know, it's kind of difficult not to when some of the shots in these films are excellent. Like, I, I, I remember saying about the, the sequence with the car chase on the motorway, where they were attaching the camera to the, either the back of Batman's car or, you know, different point of views and such. I just thought it was almost like thinking outside the box of what they could do to make it like entertaining, to, to give us that kind of impact as an audience member. Like, obviously, those like kind of POV shots as well, when you can either see I, straight away what Batman's seeing, but also there's those those times when it's like a bit of a head camera's attached to Batman, so you can see when he's like gliding through. Um, I just thought it looked amazing. And, and like I say, Gotham itself... That's the big thing for me with this film. That's one of the things I loved so much. It's just the different pockets and different 
parts of Gotham that we do get to see and, and, and explore over the course of this film, it does feel like it's hanging over everyone in this. It's not just a backdrop. It's not just kind of like any other city. Like, it does feel... It feels alive in itself. You know, I mean, that opening sequence, which I'm going to come to as well, which, my God, how beautiful. Like, just the narration from Robert Pattinson... Um, which obviously then leads to his introduction is just is just golden. But just sticking with Gotham for a moment, like I just I just really enjoyed. Like I say, it was it was like a dash of Tim Burton's worlds and fantastical elements of Gotham, and then a dash of rather a sprinkle of Christopher Nolan's very very real life Gotham. You know what I mean? Like and 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 just just to go on a bit of a, a another side a side note, which I'm sure there were plenty of these, but you know I'm seeing loads of people online saying you know stop bashing on the Nolan films now that the Batman's come out, and I don't I have not seen any won't necessarily bash the Nolan films. I don't think how can you bash them? You know what I mean? Like even for me when I was I came out of the film and I was like the first thing I said was right, it's not as good as the Dark Knight that we can get we can just put that out of the way straight away like it's not as good as the Dark Knight. It is a fantastic film it is the Batman like I say I think it's the best portrayal of the titled character like I think that the detective elements of it were really really like brilliant like so Batman that's how it should be. And I just feel that, like, obviously, the 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 Nolan films they brought Bat- Batman again into a real world, whereas this is kind of like a good balance of the two. I just I can't come out and be like, oh yeah, it's completely better. Like the Nolan films are trash now. Like, and if anyone is saying that, I think that they're either doing that for just I don't know, like to t- to kind of stir the internet pot, if you will, <laughs> because there's no way that you can come out and be like, oh yeah, Nolan films are absolute garbage now. Like we we got so many great performances in there, and this is the thing, me me saying that this Batman, Robert Pattinson's Batman, is the best portrayal of that. It takes nothing away from Christian Bale because I was saying before that it's going to take a lot for someone to come in and fill those kind of shoes. And Ben Affleck did a great job with it as well. But for me, Christian Bale will always be the great Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, it's just he got the balance really well. And I feel that because Bruce Wayne's not really in this film, like Bruce Wayne is non-existent. Batman doesn't want to be Bruce Wayne. Batman, Well, Bruce Wayne doesn't want to be Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne wants to be Batman. Um, so it's like it's difficult to say... It's, it's very it's, it's one of those where you're like well obviously it can't possibly be the best Bruce Wayne because because I feel that Christian Bale performed Bruce Wayne and Batman and so many different personas of Bruce Wayne so so well so like I'm not saying in any way that the, the Batman is is by far superior than the Nolan films or that the Nolan films are a trash I just think that the Batman has so many fantastic elements and what I would expect from a Batman film that it's it's like well it is a true true representation and portrayal of that character. Talked a lot there, didn't I? So apologies, as I said, a bit of a side note there about about obviously kind of comparison, but still, like you can't take anything away from from the Dark Knight trilogy. It was just that they're, they're stunning pieces of work, and the Dark Knight is still remains for me the greatest superhero film. So I will leave that there. But the Batman gives it a good run for its money. So aside from Gotham being a fantastic character in this film, and 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 the Batman really like homing in on that, and like the corruption within there that obviously comes obviously sat on the side with the Riddler and what he's after in his portrayal, which we will get there as well. We get like such a fantastic, fantastic opening uh, and introduction to Batman. Like I'll touch upon the Riddler's intro because obviously that comes first, but I want to speak about the Batman because as I've been saying numerous times, like I loved this portrayal. I like this moodiness, this grittiness, this vengeful Batman almost. Like it's, it's not that he's, again, he's, he's learning the ropes. He's still trying to understand and, you know, work out what he needs to do to make Gotham better. And obviously at the moment, he's still kind of fueling in that, with that rage and that hurt and that, that trauma of losing his parents. And that obviously he doesn't want that to happen to anyone else. 
And that introduction, obviously, with him narrating throughout was so good because I was like, it's not... It was obviously straight out of, like, year one, year two comics, but the same time, the, the, the animated film, if you watch that, you, there's narration in that as well. Any time that, like, Bruce Wayne is narrating something or whatever I see, I'm like, this is great. And to see it in a live-action film... My God, I was like, this is this is this is golden. Like, this is absolutely fantastic. I I didn't, I mean, I, I've heard. Obviously, you could argue that it's just cheap exposition, cheap exposition. But I don't know. There was something about it that just really, really like, especially with the contrast of the the fantastic score from Michael Giacchino, which, by the way, track one for that film, um, for the Batman, is absolutely amazing. Like, I've I've had this on repeat. The score itself I've had on repeat since seeing this film as to the Nirvana track, something in the way. But I think that's kind of like a, yeah, that's that's the only issue probably with the Batman is that he just makes you go away completely listening to the score and Nirvana. Um, but I, I felt that everything that was on that was on screen to what what was being narrated, loving the line about, obviously, they think I'm in the shadows, but I am the shadows and stuff like that. And we're just getting to see just how since Batman's been around, it's, it's it's a great way of like introducing us to the fact that yes, Batman's been knocking about for obviously two years now. How is it impacting Gotham? What are people? What do people think? Or like how do they react? And obviously, you've got these people that either you know robbing a store, you've got gangs doing this, that, and the other, like setting fires to stuff. Another quick note as well is I love the added detail of I think it's a bank or something that gets set on fire when they throw in uh, obviously a petrol bomb or whatever. The glass that they smash it leaves a shape of like the Batman's head almost like. It it looks like a like the Batman's uh, cowl, sorry. So I really like that kind of touch. It's those kind of real great attention to detail. But just this whole kind of, like I said, overview exposition of just what Gotham is being like and, and, and obviously trying to make a difference. And Batman obviously saying, look, I can't be everywhere, but obviously the, the criminals think I am kind of thing. And I thought that was really, really excellent. Obviously leading up to just an absolutely fantastic introduction to the character, like in terms of... A, a first appearance of of the caped crusader I, I can't get over this one like just hearing his footsteps walking up those steps obviously to to get the face paint gang is what we're going to call them and obviously we've seen that that sequence in the trailer obviously the first trailer we got when we got to see batman kicking their ass it was just amazing like it was so so good just the the, the delivery of the line i'm vengeance and then what follows and I just can't get over that intro like it was so bloody good so good to say that the score the the narration the obviously the the shots of Gotham and and seeing how how rainy and wet and damp and gloomy it just all fits perfectly like such a fantastic jigsaw piece I just absolutely absolutely loved that introduction well, I I even I really enjoyed to say part of the narration sequence is seeing Batman getting ready to go out you've got that great like red light effect obviously just, and then you've got Robert Pattinson putting on his his eyeliner or whatever is his black um, black paint around his eyes, obviously, and and getting ready to to go out and and tackle tackle Gotham. It was just it was just amazing. Like it was so so good, and I'm sure that people out there will will, will be agreeing on that as well. I, honestly, um, I'm trying to think of like the other introductions, obviously, to, to Batman in the previous films, like his first kind of moment, because obviously Batman Begins, I would say, is a bit of an a bit of an exception because it's it, we we don't really meet him until halfway through the film and. I just yeah, I can't get over it. It was just so good, and and leading us obviously to the to the crime scene with the mayor and the whole storyline obviously of of the Riddler and what he's after and this kind of, you know, kind of showing up the corruption of Gotham. I thought it was really really good. I say I've seen the film twice now, and it was kind of, it was a good in a way to to watch that because I was like trying to pick up and just you know kind of take in everything that. 
that was going on with that and the plots and such, obviously this whole, you know, renewal fund and the motive of the Riddler becoming that, because essentially they said the Riddler is just another orphan. He's started off the same as, as Bruce Wayne, but they went down two different paths. Obviously the Riddler with, you know, not the same financial backing or back or background um, that, that Bruce Wayne had and that kind of, the corruption and, and since Thomas and Martha Wayne left that fund after their deaths, obviously that's been kind of swallowed up by the gangs of Gotham corruption in, in the, the mayor, the DA and such. And obviously Bruce Wayne will have potentially had maybe a, well, either way, Bruce Wayne's got his handful on, on so much money anyways. And that kind of the Riddler being inspired by a vigilante such as Batman. Sorry. Cause the thing is with the Riddler is, is he's obviously Matt Reeves has said it was very heavily influenced by the Zodiac killer in the sense of obviously taunting the police. In this case, it's almost like, it's taunting, but then it's it's at the same time he's writing to the Batman, almost like a love letter to the Batman. He thinks that they're one of the same, and that's a really interesting approach to this character because you get it then, really, don't you? Like, because obviously you just think he's a bit of a bit of a madman, bit of you know, bit bit on the edge almost. Like obviously with the way that the Riddler is, and Paul Dano, just speaking about the Riddler for a second, I think that he is so so great as his character. That just to be that kind of. The, the right level of eccentric at times when it needs to be, but like almost showing that unhingedness to to the Riddler. Obviously, that the sequence between those two talking in the uh, when after the Riddler's been arrested and talking between be, be behind the glass and such. Like again, it's it's up there with the Joker and the Batman scene in the Dark Knight when they're talking in the in the jail cell kind of thing. I I, I honestly. Um, I loved it. I thought that Paul Dano was just fantastic, and that moment of of when he's realizing that Batman's not with him, doesn't agree with what he's doing, calling him a psychopath, this that and the other, and he's letting out those cries and screams, saying this is not how it's supposed to go, this that and the other. You could tell that he's genuinely hurt and and genuinely, you know, upset with the fact that he's not. It's not literally going the way that he wants it. Batman's not taking it the way that he wants to. Batman wants to fix Gotham, as too does does the Riddler. But they're two; they're just doing it in two completely different ways. Obviously, and the problem with that is obviously the fact that Batman's ruling with vengeance. Obviously, he's going rounds, and that's another thing. On a side note, I love how people call him vengeance. They don't call him Batman. You've got, I think there's a couple of times. I think does anyone call him Batman? I think I think I know Pattinson says this coming to the end, the Batman. I think that's the one time maybe that they do actually mention the Batman's name because everyone just keeps calling him vengeance. Like he's great. See the Penguin, Colin Farrell's constantly shouting vengeance at him, this, that, and the other. Mr. Vengeance. I really liked it. I liked that touch. But again, that's due to the fact that he has been going around ruling with that kind of vengeful fist almost. And I like how it comes around. Like I said, with my, with the third act, and, and just another side note, this is, as you can tell, as always, when any revisit comes on Joe Blogs About Films, it's not as straightforward as just the narrative structure. I'm not just going to go beginning, middle, end. I like to fly from here, from there, to everywhere kind of thing. So again, apologies if you like, bloody hell, it's just like jump straight to like a certain, just just, just go with me, basically. <laughs> um but I like, sorry, how everything comes to an end. Sorry, how everything comes full circle at the end. You know, you've got obviously Batman realizing that he doesn't have to rule like that. Like it's a, you know, that symbolism. Because, like I said, with the third act, and I just want to touch on again this this issue that I have with the third act. I don't. I think it's almost like it's a bit of an extreme um, plot. You know, in the sense that the Riddler is obviously he's done. He's you know he's been exposing the corruption, putting people in riddles. I loved all of that. Like I said, I said in my previous podcast, I loved this jigsaw-esque zodiac killer that that was the riddler kind of thing you know putting these people in traps and giving them riddles to get out i thought it was really really clever a really sinister and sadistic kind of approach to this character and again just makes the riddler terrifying because i would never say out of all the villains in batman that, that the riddler is the most terrifying but i think that they've done a pretty good job of making him pretty terrifying in this film um but like i i 
I'm just not sure of like, obviously I get that he wanted to be captured. I just almost feel that it would have been, I've seen arguments to say it would have been better if the, if, if, if the ending would have just been kind of like a, the fact that the Riddler's always been a step of the Batman, like obviously he 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 had his plan and it was always to keep ahead um, and and always and known all along, like like he does. Obviously, who essentially the rats that they're looking for is within Gotham, because that's another side, that's another side kind of story as well. Is within that corruption, you've got the 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 off screen arrest. We don't see any of it, but off screen arrest and and you know I don't know at, at what point it was. With before this film, but the the obviously gangster Moroni, he's been uh, he's been arrested and 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 put away, but it was all due to kind of obviously like shadiness and corruption to put him away. Almost the mayor taking advantage of of obviously the 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 information he was being fed from this rat and trying to work out who the rat was within this huge corrupt Gotham. You know, what I mean, you've got the you've got so many people. I mean, this is the thing as well with the film is not once did I I didn't guess who the rat was. It was and and I don't think in 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 some way I, I feel that the story was structured and, and and presented in such a way that you didn't have to necessarily be sat there with your thinking cap on because I was just taking it all and I was enjoying watching Batman, you know, kind of pursue this case, try to hunt down the Riddler, fixing and, and working out all these riddles. Obviously, has turned up at crime scenes, this, that, and the other. I was just enjoying him and Catwoman, obviously, doing all of this and what happened on the way and what what would, you know, kind of lead us to that that the answer to the outcome, to the, the resolution of the film kind of thing. So it wasn't as if you were sat there, not like a whodunit, like a murder mystery, like something like Death on the Nile or anything like that, where you're trying to pick up clues and that and the other. I was just enjoying the story as it unfolded. Uh, and this is another reason why I would say definitely benefits maybe from a second viewing, because you might pick up on a few other things. I can't say in particular, but it was just easier to, to consume everything, because it's a three-hour film at the end of the day. There's so much going on with this film that it is easy to kind of get lost a little bit with what's going on, who's what, and who's the well. Obviously, you know who the rat is when they do say it at the end. But to get you know how they got there and the stories behind it all, so like the, it would have been interesting if the Riddler just at the end, rather than blowing up around Gotham to let the water in to flood it, this that and the other. Maybe it could have just been the fact that he's he, he the Riddler won. You know what I mean? Like it could have been that the Riddler won a bit like how. Again, I don't want to try and compare it to The Dark Knight all the time, but a little bit how the Joker won at the end of The Dark Knight. I, again, I don't want to say completely copy that storyline and be like, okay, let's do all that again, but just the fact that the Riddler's always been two steps ahead of Batman, always known you know, the, the ins and outs of obviously Thomas and Martha Wayne, obviously what they left behind, their legacy, the corruption obviously with, between the police officers who's working at the Iceberg Lounge for the Penguin and what the Penguins had to do with You know, there's so many characters that intertwine and you know, end up coming in together along the way that, again, like I say, it's easy to, it's easy to get lost a little bit within that. Um, but again, I, I loved it all the same. Once you've, once you've, I could sit again and I happily go to the cinema and watch this film again, no doubt. But I've, I've, again, I've spent like nearly seven hours doing that, so I'm going to give it, give it a little bit of a waiting time if I do watch this again. But like I say, I just felt that like the, the third act of the film, there was just something missing, um, whether it was... I don't know. I'd, I'd maybe maybe because the Riddler had been caught and it was just kind of almost just summing everything up that it did feel a little bit jarring. It I don't know, but even still, there is a great symbolism in that ending. There's some great work to say of this idea of Batman, obviously realizing what he's done in by ruling with vengeance that people have. He's now inspired, sorry, other people to go out and think they can do it. Obviously, he's seen one crazy maniac doing it with the Riddler. Um, he's now obviously going to let you know potentially set loose a whole bunch of other people because obviously the Riddler's now got followings. And again, just on another little side note, I love the fact that the Riddler's like henchmen or whatever, they're all wearing his attire, which is something, again, very like 
comic-y like you've seen obviously again in other in other in other comic films or whatever you know where they'll be wearing that same outfit like especially like in the likes of batman forever or whatever when two faces gang have all got like two like i think they wear masks or whatever with like i think it's like bandanas that are like red, black and red i think if i'm if i remember incorrectly but still it's just really cool to see henchmen wearing <laughs> wearing all wearing the, the the same attire as what the riddler was and such as well which is, again is a very very terrifying terrifying look to it but yeah, it just the symbolism, sorry, like at the end, obviously, with Batman realising that he doesn't have to rule like that and that he has actually, he is making a difference. It's just not in the way that he thinks it is. Obviously, it's that beacon of hope he needs to be. Because when he falls into that water after he's obviously cut that electrical wire, it's almost like he's been baptised. Like I say, I love that connotation. I love that kind of, that that, that, that approach to it of him rising from the water. He's no longer vengeance. He's no longer Mr. Vengeance. He is, he is Batman. And when he goes over, obviously, to save everyone, including, obviously, the mayor and such, you know, they're, they're all nervous. They're, they don't want to take his hand, obviously, because he's been going around. He's just, he's just a vigilante at the end of the day. Literally, he is just another vigilante up until that point when that boy takes his hand and the Batman, obviously, with that red flare. Again, the use of colour in this film is wonderful. But when he when that boy takes his hand and he leads him out to safety, it's just a powerful image, obviously, of all of, like, obviously, the, the, the people of Gotham behind him as he leads him out of the arena. And he is now Batman. He is this this beacon of he is that beacon of hope. He has now got another reason to continue doing what he's doing. It's not the fact that he's still he's still going to continue living with that trauma of losing his parents, but he's going to use that for good. He's not going to use that to strike necessary fear. Obviously, the the idea and and the, the the persona of Batman is to strike fear into the you know to the ones who oppose who, who obviously put fear into other people and and to stop the villains and the corrupt. But I, I just love that, love that symbolism at the end. I thought that was really, really good, really powerful, really great ending to the film and the fact that he, like I say, he's realised that he can make a difference in a different way. And yeah, I just think that Patterson was an absolutely just fantastic Batman, really, really great to say, from his gizmos and gadgets to the fantastic Batmobile. Like I, I mentioned earlier in my previous podcast about the sequence with the um, with the car chase on the motorway with Penguin and Batman and... It was just flawless, wasn't it? Just jaw dropping. Like the the again the the uh, the score for it as well. Like the build up, obviously, when when Batman's there and he gets he gets obviously hit with one of the bullets, obviously that's been fired in by a Penguin, and then he's not there, and then you hear the the roaring of that engine, and then, and then the shot of the Penguin looking so menacing, staring back at this car. It's almost like a game of chicken. Like who's gonna who's gonna drop out first? Who's gonna start first? But the thing is, is that Batman's in his Batmobile. There's no way that that car is gonna get out of that car and stop or whatever. I just I loved everything the build up to it like the, the even the moody lighting obviously where we just got to see those kind of small flashes and small pockets of light coming out of the batmobile as he's revving that engine as he's about to go and and what follows and what ensues my god like i even love the little additional detail of uh, when when the penguin thinks he's taken out the batman there's that huge explosion behind him he's given the whole i've got you i've got you and then batman flies out of those flames there's like a piece of material that's like stuck to the side of batman's car from obviously through the mass wreckage that's just been left and unfolded before him and it looks like the batmobile's got like a cape and i just loved that little that little take because obviously the, the, it's again that representation batman it's like putting it's like this is the batmobile kind of thing i thought it was a great little touch and that again, that sequence, just when he just smashes into the back of the Penguin's car, flipping it over again, we get that fantastic inside shot of the car flipping over again. Those are the kind of shots that I'm talking about when it's putting cameras and, and, and putting it in, in places that you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be or shots expect to see. 
but they're just great and just adding a little bit more to it so we get to feel let's say the penguin flying across the motorway as Batman then obviously leaves his car and, and again I, I, I can't get over some of the cinematography in this film Greg Fraser and, and Matt Reeves and their vision for this film because the upside down shot is probably one of my favourite shots I've seen in the film in a long time it's bloody fantastic and it's mad to think on just some kind of level, just on a, again, another another little bit of a side waffle, um, that this film has the same budget as Black Widow that came out for Marvel. And when you look at the third act of Black Widow, which is just a CGI mess, I don't know how, it's just, you know, you just like, it's uncomparable. Like, it just, it's absolutely fantastic. And this is the thing with these blockbusters nowadays, such as the Batman, where they are so gripping. Like, they are so, like I said, I, I've absolutely loved so much of this film. And, and it's, it's all down to how they've, really thought out every single scene in this film really is really is excellent um i'll come to obviously some some selena kyle catwoman talk because again i feel that the beauty of this film is that the characters that are in it are not just there to be like okay tick box they're in it there we'll put them in this sequence like it, it it all flows so well like everyone comes together or at least it's like no one feels like they're forced into a scene like you know you have a sequence where i think when 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 gordon and, and batman turn up to obviously the bat the bat um the bat signal and catwoman's there and she's obviously having an interrogation sequence it's stuff like that where it's like it flows nicely even like you could also talk about when the 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 funeral sequence where the obviously the chap uh, the the DA has got the the bomb attached around his neck and such that idea he obviously first arrives and then it's like it, it'll cut and it's it does feel like an actual like real sequence of the police obviously trying to work out what to do next obviously it just cuts to the to the night sequence you've got him just sat there waiting for obviously the the bomb squad to send in and try and do whatever until the Batman comes and such and it's just it all felt really natural really it flowed really well felt more real it just felt how it would be it didn't feel like you know because one of the things i remember seeing the trailer was from that sequence obviously you've got you know the, the funeral sequence of him arriving with with the tape on and and the, and the trap around his neck and bruce wayne's there staring obviously moody obviously emo bruce wayne looking back and then next thing in the same sequence obviously in the same oh like in, in the trailer sorry in that same um you know in the church obviously for the for the funeral he showed you batman obviously there and then the explosion kicking off and i was like how did how would batman just turn up you know what i mean and wouldn't even didn't even think about the whole the time lapse obviously the time changing from 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 day to night kind of thing it's stuff like that that i just really enjoyed and felt like it just felt it made the film feel more real but catwoman's obviously story in this as well is, is another interesting one because obviously she's got a lover that's gone missing it's been kidnapped and it's all to do with her trying to find her but at the same time she's kind of like you know, she's worked her way into the Iceberg Lounge with the Penguin. She's feet. She's obviously just a waitress. At the same time, she's also doing drug deliveries for the for the eye drops. The the eye drops are just drops, is what they call drop heads, is what is what they call them, kind of thing. Um, and just this idea that obviously that her her obviously friend has learnt about this corruption within Gotham. The fact that Falcone, who does turn out to be the rats, kind of had this hold over the rest of Gotham. Like the DA, obviously, ultimately helping the mayor put away Maroney as well. Obviously, they're all kind of a hand into this um, renewal fund. He's, say, essentially the rat that they're all looking for, which, again, was not a twist I was necessarily... Th I didn't expect it to be Falcone or anything like that. I, I definitely didn't expect Falcone to be the father of Selena Kyle as well, which is a nice little tweak and, and changed the storyline there as well, which I thought was, was decent enough. It made, it made it more kind of believable for Catwoman to be so invested, for Selena Kyle, that is, sorry, to be so invested in this and try to work out, you know, what is actually going on between and, and what that relationship between her and Falco actually is. Because it was kind of like, you know, Batman was like, I think they've been in a relationship together, not too sure this, that and the other. 
and it, it you know it, rather than having an actual love relationship it was it was just a father daughter kind of thing and i i did like that i didn't mind it at all it just kind of helped that story flow along but catwoman i thought about you know but zoe, zoe kravitz was just absolutely again just really really excellent brought something new to the to the catwoman table almost i felt that she was a really really excellent like um you know another dynamic for for the batman to have like another potential love interest they've always had a bit of an on off relationship in the comics so again having having them two together at times was just really really excellent the fact that obviously she comes to save him towards the end of the film as well like those two coming together it just it would just it just worked really really well um like i said with the with the whole rat situation as well obviously being falcone you know falcone i i liked what they did with him i felt that he did have that kind of like mob boss you know kind of mentality that whole kind of you know he felt so super so empowered so so in charge that he could do these things he was doing he could you know get another gang a rival gang member locked up in this other the in moroni but also at the same time have that hold over someone like the mayor like the da's and such so it just really you know almost fueling and silencing the enemy but at the same time fueling his own empire i thought it was really really great take on it i thought i'd say falcon was was really excellent in the film bit of a bit of an interesting one time just taken out it would, might have been interesting if they could have saved that maybe towards the later of the film i know it's quite towards the end anyways but the whole kind of revelation as well that he could have been the reason why thomas and martha wayne were killed obviously thomas thomas wayne was um found out that obviously that a reporter had been kind of digging up dirt on martha wayne and her links to arkham and institutions in general and this is on the back of obviously the the fact that falcone had been helped as well by thomas wayne thomas wayne had operated on him very when bruce wayne was very young um on the dining table i think he mentioned and in in this obviously he asked for the return favor of can you shut this reporter up Saying that to someone like Falcone is, is one of two things. Either the reporter is paid off. If that's not going to work, the reporter's going to die. And essentially the reporter is killed off. Thomas Wayne is absolutely devastated by this news. Decides I will take I will, I will you know, threaten them with the police. I'll report you for this. And then as Alfred says, and the great Andy Serkis says to Bruce Wayne, I can't prove it, but you know, it was only a matter of days later or whatever, weeks later that your parents were killed. And I'm certain, certain that it was Falcone that was behind it all. And this is the thing, because it's one of those with Falcone's character where you can't really believe anything he says throughout the film. Like, on that moment, on that that, that moment, obviously, between him and Bruce Wayne, when he does explain and, and say to Bruce, look, yeah, that's what happens. It's like, even then, even before, obviously, he does get, you know, the, the information from, from Alfred eventually after that, you do think, surely not. Like, surely, I mean, yeah, fair enough. It's the idea that no one is perfect, Thomas Wayne isn't just as perfect as what he's, you know, he's not as squeaky clean as what the other times and, and other portrayals and adaptations we've seen as a character. And you get that, that no one is perfect. No one, everyone's done something wrong in, the, in their life kind of thing. Everyone makes mistakes. This was a mistake on Thomas Wayne's part to even ask Falcone for that kind of help, knowing the kind of man that he was dealing with. The issue is, is obviously that Thomas Wayne never said for him to be killed. It was just a case of, can you shut him up? But, well saying that to a, a mob man i don't really know what he was expecting to be honest with you but still it's another great kind of shift and dynamic and another thing to be explored for bruce wayne and that kind of that that you know re, that kind of inner turmoil that bruce wayne then goes through thinking his whole purpose has been a lie his reason for being batman to live with that trauma to avenge and almost do that in the name of his parents has been a complete lie there is that kind of breakage there and i do really think that you do feel that at that moment but especially between him and alfred in the hospital because they don't really there's not too many interactions this is the thing i was saying in my previous podcast there's not enough interactions for me to even have a true kind of uh opinion sorry on the bruce 
Alfred dynamic and relationship, you do get the sense, obviously, yeah, that that, that Alfred has brought him up. And like he says, all you wanted was a father. Like, I taught you to fight this, that, and the other, but you needed your father. Like, you do feel a, a true connection there at that moment, but there wasn't until that point any real, you know, it was just kind of like, well, Bruce was just a bit of an arse to him, let's be honest. Pattinson's Bruce was just a little bit like, eh, I've, got, I've got bigger fish to fry. Like, I ain't got time for Wayne stuff. I need to crack on with Batman stuff kind of thing. So... It's just it was a great like I say a great in a, a great moment for Pattinson's character to to again develop more to, to to get us to that point at the end of the film when he is kind of you know he's born again a new Batman is born again um yeah very very uh, very interesting approach I thought it was a very very fantastic portrayal as well and again the moments that we do get with Bruce Wade as where we get Pattinson just as Bruce Wade I like the fact that they say that he is just this kind of broody moody kind of just just he's so focused on batman that bruce wayne doesn't exist that's the thing is that bruce wayne is literally non-existent in this film bruce wayne wants to be batman and that's all that matters and i liked it i liked that a lot i don't i think we won't get as much of that in the next one when we do get the inevitable sequel and then maybe a third one i think bruce wayne will start to come out to do a little bit more will start to go to you know events and start buying properties i think he will start to become the bruce wayne that we know at this moment though in this film he's only been obviously batman for two years he's really really honed in on being Batman, something that we've not really seen before, something that I, for one, really dug, really enjoyed. And again, just that, that's my, why I'm sat here going, this is the best portrayal of the Batman because Bruce Wayne is non-existent. So it's not like I can, I can say, right, okay, overall, who is the best Batman slash Bruce Wayne? The best Batman is this, the detective side of it, which, I, again, I can't wait to talk a little bit more about, but like, just how he is in this film, I think, is just is just absolutely fa- it's just fantastic. So Pattinson's Batman is fantastic. And it's it's really great and interesting to see that, obviously, when Matt Reeves was 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 creating this film, was writing the film and, 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 and such, that he already had Pattinson in mind for that for that role. Um and, and I, which I guess is like I said, such a such a different approach to it, because obviously Pattinson, it's not that it's it's not that he's not the right build or shape for Batman. I just think that it's you know it's interesting to kind of bring that bring someone like Pattinson, a great actor in his own right. What what were you saying? He, what he knew that Pattinson would be able to go on that search with him for the depth and the complexity of sorry of the character. Um, and he just he was never going to play him with a straight you know straight ahead kind of thing. I I really like it, and and you can definitely see that kind of relationship. Obviously, that they they trusted in each other because there was so much talk. Obviously, while these films were being made, that there was a falling out between the two of them. Obviously, you got to remember as well that with this film being done during COVID times as well, being filmed during COVID times, that you know I think Pattinson obviously caught COVID, so there were, there were on set issues as well. But it it just sounds like it was just either just a constant hearsay, constant someone just spouting nonsense about the fact that there were troubles on set because. When someone's that invested, someone like Matt Reeves, who's a great creator in his own right, a great director, he's done some fantastic work, obviously his work on the Planet of the Eight films, the more recent ones, and to Cloverfield, which is one of my all-time favourites, you know, he's, he's thought it all out, like, this is the beauty of this film, is that he has thought everything out, every sequence, every shot, every frame, every, um, yeah, every plot point, sorry has been well executed and well thought out. And I love what Matt Reeves was saying about, obviously, Batman himself, is that it's an amazing myth that's been endured for over 80 years, and it's because of that crazy mix that there's a part of it that's simply, he's just a cool guy, isn't he? Like, he looks cool, he's got a cool car, he's got all the gizmos, gadgets, he's a bit like James Bond's in a certain way, but there's also something very relatable to the pain that he's gone through. And so for, for Matt Reeves, it was like, how how would he ground that? Um, that's the aspects of the story that you really want to focus on, and this story emphasises on all of those above things we've just spoke about there. Uh, he goes on to say that that's why he was excited about getting Robert Pattinson, because he's such a wonderful actor, and he knew that he would be able to go on 
again through that search for for the for that for the those layers and depth of the character um and this is you know it's one of those again when Pattinson was cast obviously everyone's like oh my god why they got the guy well certain people were saying why they got the guy from Twilight to play you know Bruce Wayne Batman but that to me just shows that people hadn't watched any of Pattinson's work like uh, since since Twilight or still it's like for me I can I can I love a good love a good joke I like to have a good laugh and obviously even I was like you know to, to the to like, I think I tweeted something along the lines of oh yeah I'm team Edward kind of thing but like he has done some amazing work. You only have to watch like The Lighthouse with him and Willem Dafoe to understand just how of a great actor and how much you know how broad he is within the acting industry and what he can do. Also, obviously, by the likes of his great work within Tenet, which arguably he's one of the best things in Tenet. Really, really excellent in there. So, like, he's done some great, great stuff over the years. It's just a shame that people still tarnish him with that Twilight brush. And if you want to make him feel better about it or anything like that, just go and Google Robert Pattinson's thoughts on Twilight. There are so many, so many great moments or some stuff that he's either said on the audio commentary for the Twilight films or just in interviews that shows you just how much he wasn't, um, yeah, he was not, not a fan of Twilight himself. And I think, yes, I think it was Pattinson who went on for a meeting uh, with the studio and he, and he, one of the first, I think one of the questions they asked was what's, what's, what's your plan to Warner Brothers? What's your plan with Batman? So it's interesting that you've got Matt Reeves who was creating this film, writing obviously Batman with Robert Pattinson in mind and Pattinson weirdly already like kind of up for it. It just kind of worked out that way. Another little like behind the scenes thing that I read up today was that Pattinson was actually really nervous because when he was working on Tenet was when he auditioned for the Batman. And it's one of those where you've got Nolan, this fantastic film director who'd obviously brought a huge, huge hit with the Dark Knight trilogy, and he was so nervous about actually. Didn't I? Don't think I think he lied. He said he had a family emergency to go to this audition because he was almost toying with not actually auditioning for it because he was working with Nolan. I don't, I don't get that in a way. I was like, oh man, that's again. It maybe shows you how nice Pattinson actually is. But when he puts that cape and that cowl on, he becomes something, something different entirely. But I just like reading up on obviously all the behind the scenes. Such obviously, I, I mentioned as well in my previous podcast just about how when Matt Reeves was first approached by it, it was a case of him. Just saying no to the Batflex script. I don't think he wanted to take it down that route. He didn't want to do the whole DCEU, which I do commend Warner Brothers in a way with this film because it could have been so easy for them to go, no, we don't want to separate another Batman. We don't. We, we want to push with our DC Extended Universe, which is an absolute, well, mess, let's be honest. I was going to again nearly swore then. It's uh, a certain show. <laughs> like, it's really poor. Um, you know, there's only been a handful of films that have been decent enough, but still. Um, it would have been easier for them to say, no, Matt Reeves, we're not wanting to separate anything. We want to really kind of push the DC Extended Universe together. But I, I, I do kind of commend them that they have come out since and said that it isn't just going to be like quantity over quality. It's going to be a case of they want every you know, filmmaker, you know, they've had like the likes of James Wan, who was one of my all time favorite, you know, film directors, storytellers, you know, on Aquaman, which again, Aquaman's again, a, a decent enough flick. Um, you know, you've got some great names been attached to, to all these, to all these films. Obviously, Patty Jenkins, obviously with Wonder Woman, it's so strange that they just can't seem to, de- the, the, the studio just don't let directors and such do the things they want to do. So I think that the Batman is a fantastic example of just Warner Brothers just, just, just step away. Just let the creators do their thing. You know what I mean? I think it's fantastic what Reeves has done, um, and it would have been like I said, it would have been so easy for them to turn down what his approach was. Um, it does seem like I said, I love what what Reeves went from this story of saying it was, you know, it was very action driven. It was very deeply connected to the DCU with other major characters from other movies popping up in the original script. But he didn't want to do it that way. He wanted to ground it the way that he has done. And 
the 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 evidence of this is all there on screen for three hours, and it's like this is it. This is this is fantastic. Do this more often, and in that, you know, in doing so, you're going to create like a huge hit, like a huge sensation, which is what they've done. Like people really dig this Batman, um, and 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 I'm not surprised because I've, I've already kind of touched upon different aspects of the character and different you know the different depths and such for Robert Pattinson, but. I love just his intelligence. I absolutely love how he is the the world's greatest detective in this film. Like I say, he doesn't even have to say anything. Like I said in my previous podcast, he doesn't have to say anything when he's at crime scenes. He can just kind of look at something, maybe do a grunt if he wants to kind of thing, just have a look, and then he knows what he's seen. Well, he's, he's obviously he's got the eye, the eye contact lenses and with all the you know the gizmos of, of recording what he's seeing, the sat and the other, so he can take away and then go over the evidence. Like when we when we when he you goes to the first crime scene of the mayor that's been ducked up and taped and so and they show him all like the riddle and the cipher and such and he obviously straight away looks at it and then when he goes home he's like printing it all out listening to some Nirvana as you do and like you know jotting down obviously he worked out the riddle in a matter of seconds obviously what does a liar do when he's dead he lies still he's, he's there like putting down the letters on the relevant you know digits and such of, of the, this this cryptic message and working from there and him and Alfred take it from there I just love how quick he is like even when he's like I said when the guy's got uh, you know however, however many minutes couple of minutes with the with the uh, the, the DA sorry when he's got the the, the trap around his neck and the Riddler calls and they're going over the, the Riddles together which again is kind of like when we've already spoke about the fact that the Riddler sees him and Batman as working together that in itself obviously is the first example of that our first kind of nod to what's going to come to the end what what the Riddler actually thinks is that him and Batman are one of the same that they are going to be working together to, to clean the city you know ringing up to get Batman's attention obviously they have the Skype call and then the, the, this, this poor DA has then got to like work out obviously these riddles to uh, to to get out of him. Obviously, the the the, the, the district attorney Gil Colson, that is sorry, who's portrayed by Peter Sarsgaard, does a great job of like that panic and fear of getting these answers right and wanting to get them right, just so he's not going to die. Obviously, but when you've got Batman next to you who knows his riddles like left, right, and centre, it's like he's just gonna just gonna get you out of it anyways. It's mad. He's there like just like riddlers saying this, that, and the other like you know just all these riddles. Batman's like vengeance. The answer's vengeance. It's like oh, okay, it's bribes. What, what's your bribe? Tell him the bribes. That and the other. It's just so intense, and it's like that. That's what I loved about. Pattinson's performance as, as Batman is that like he's, he's, he's there like to try and obviously help but at the same time it's like people aren't weirdly like not not wanting his help or not taking his help but he, if he has to get like physical or like more more aggressive to, to, to get his point across that's that's the point of mind frame he's in that's the vengeance set that he's in kind of thing and I just thought it was awesome. I love as well, so while we're talking about relationships and dynamics, obviously his relationship with Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright's Lieutenant James Gordon. The sequence, obviously, when Batman uh, is, is obviously blown up just not long after that and he wakes up in the police in the police depot and all the police want to see his masks and what's under the mask and he's fighting them all off. And again, when when Jeffrey Wright's Gordon's like saying, I'll talk to him, this, that, and the other and just that kind of like you know like that 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 false front almost of saying you know like giving him a quick jab to the you know like a hit on the chest kind of thing and being like whispering saying we've got to get you out of here kind of thing and that whole again that relationship between the two it's it's, it's wonderful and obviously just drip feeding the fact that they've only been obviously in you know correspondence in this kind of like relationship together for the last two years kind of thing it, it worked really really well and I do like Jeff I think Jeffrey Wright said again. It's amazing how many actors are in this, obviously, that are absolutely fantastic. Like everyone who is who is listed is absolutely amazing. I thought Jeffrey Wright did a great Lieutenant uh, James Gordon there. I've not really said too much about Colin Farrell as well as the Penguin because I did kind of talk a little bit about him, obviously, in the previous podcast, but I still can't believe it's him. I know they've just announced the Penguin spin off as well, but I'm like, I can't believe that this is Colin Farrell that we're looking at.
looking at in this film. Obviously, the great work of prosthetics, and I really liked what they what they did with this character. You know, this like I said, this part of the part of the mob, part of the gangs. He's now essentially looks like he's going to be taken over from 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 Falcone. Obviously, there's going to be like a bit of a power struggle. But if anyone's going to win that power struggle, it's going to be someone like Oz, because I, I well, obviously it's the Penguin. He's going to he's going to kind of come up to uh, more power. But I, I again really enjoyed the the the, the interactions between him and Batman. It's not just a case of obviously like another villain that Batman's just trying to sort out kind of thing. He's just part of this ongoing story, this ongoing thread. And again, I, I just, I think they, they was really, really, really excellent. Um, before I do wrap up and finish, I, of course, because it's a spoiler discussion, I want to talk about uh, Barry Keon's uh, cast as Unseen Arkham Prisoner, which is as ambiguous as you want to get. He, of course, is going to be the next Joker. And again, I liked this touch. And what I think is interesting enough as well about it is that it just gives us enough information without him actually saying, I am the Joker kind of thing. We get the line about, you know, get to be a clown, this, that and the other. I like this kind of, I, li- I like his laugh for starters as well. It's interesting. And and this is the thing, like it's one of those where you're like, there's been so many people that have done the Joker now. Like you've got to kind of do something different in approach. And I think the Barry Keon's done that. He's, he's sounding like he's going to be really, really interesting because we've only, we only got like what, a minute of him on, you know, behind the the, the glass, obviously at uh, in his, in his prison cell. Um, and it looks like he's going to be, you know, a really, really good joke. I like what they've done. Obviously, it looks like his skin's a bit, bit haggard and such, and looks like he could have easily fallen in to a pit of acid if they want to go down that route and such. But um, yeah, very excited with that. And I, I would like to think as well that he's not going to be the villain of the of the second one. I don't want. In fairness, I don't want that. And if they did it, fair enough. I, I'm not going to argue with them. But I think that this he should be the villain of the third piece. I think if they're going to do a trilogy, save the Joker, drip feed him again, have him in the next one as like this kind of cameo again, even to the Riddler if you want to. Um, but I think save it and wait for the final outing kind of thing. If you're going to do a trilogy of Batman films, bring the Joker in for the last one, be the ultimate test for the Batman. You know, get someone in the next one. I don't know, I'd, I'd take anyone really, Scarecrow or someone. You know, I, ideally I'd like someone like Mr. Freeze or something. I want someone that we've not had in, in, in a good live action film in a while. But all the same, it'd be great if they saved the Joker for the third and final film of a said trilogy, which I would love Love to see, but Barry Keon, uh, I think he'll be great. Sounding sounded really, really promising from the from the minute or so that we got him in uh, in the Batman. Great little cameo, and it's just enough to kind of get us all like, Ooh, you know what I mean? So uh, there we have it. I think I'm going to leave it there, really, because I've been speaking for just nearly well about 50 minutes or so, and um, yeah, goes without saying that I really dug this film. I thought that everything was great. I think the only thing I've not really mentioned, which I was going to say, is the introduction to obviously the Riddler at the very beginning of the film, where it's kind of you're almost thinking we're looking at what could potentially be uh, young Bruce Wayne. Obviously, this you know it turns out to be the mayor and his family, obviously playing about, and you've got binoculars looking over, and then that obviously went when you know he's on the phone and then he's like talking away the mayor and then you know walks away from where he's standing you just see the riddler just stood there in the dark it is horrifying like it's that kind of again the idea of someone lurking in the shadows which batman says not long after in his in his exposition uh, narration that is um i thought it was just pretty menacing and it straight away set you up for what kind of film you're going to watch straight away you're like okay i can see why this is a 15 film now like in in the uk that is it's a 15 but really really menacing and and that's the thing with the riddler like i've honestly i've mentioned about paul dano but you know he said in interviews there were times when it was hard to kind of come down from the the the, the level that he'd taken the character in and heightened his performance kind of thing which you can definitely see because there's so much intensity so much 
so much, as I say, sociopath within him that it's uh, it must be so... And this is why I commend actors that can do these kind of roles, that can kind of lock themselves in that role, but then come out of it eventually after. It'd be so easy so easy to get lost in that. Um, but I think Paul Dano, is, he did such a fantastic job. Really, really, really great job as the Riddler. And uh, yeah, just the sadisticness of him was was something that we've never really... I've not really seen in a, in a Riddler before. Um, and I, I think it was just great. And I, I hope... like Another great thing is they didn't kill him off. Like They kept him, locked him away in Arkham, and that's it. But... Um, yeah, just the third act of the film I felt like could have been tweaked a little bit. But as I mentioned previously on this podcast, like I say on, on this episode, that the symbolism of towards the end of obviously for Batman is quite important. It's quite a, quite a, a shift for that character. So I get what they were going for. I just am not too sure about the whole plot itself. It's a bit it's a bit of a, a bit of an odd one. I get this again the symbolism of washing away the, the you know the sins of everyone and this that and the other and cleaning up the streets. Obviously by him flooding the city, just a bit of a. I don't know, just a bit extreme on some level, but uh, that's the Riddler, though, isn't it? He was building up and building up and building up to, obviously, this grand, grand finale. But anyways, before I do end up going on, like, another hour tangent, I do really appreciate listening to this spoiler discussion. If you've got any thoughts yourself about the Batman that you want to give a chat about them, do please get in touch on Facebook, search Joe Blogs About Films, give the page a like there. Hit notification and follow on Spotify or whatever app that you're listening to this podcast to. That'd also be very, very much appreciated. But I hope you've enjoyed my spoiler thoughts on the Batman. It is a great, great film. I do think it's a, it's a strong 8.5 out of 10, pushing 9. It's one of those, it's either an 8.5 or a 9 out of 10. It's a fantastic film. It's the best portrayal of the detective elements of Batman, and I think that it, uh, Matt Reeves and co. have done a fantastic job. They say that the, the, the cinematography and everything involved with it, the shots and sequences, just, it's just amazing, so bloody good. Anyways, thank you so much again for listening. I'm looking forward to reviewing a few more films. We're going to be popping on podcasts, uh, episodes as much as I possibly can, and uh, yeah, I'll try to get some revisits on as well. But thank you as always for listening to this episode. Take care.